From the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University, this is Writer's Talk. I'm Doug Dangler. If you or your child has been frightened by one of the 350 million books that R.L. Stein has sold, you may be surprised to learn that he got his start in publishing, working at The Ohio State University's humor magazine, The Sundial. A few months ago, some enterprising students from Ohio State decided to relaunch The Sundial, which had long since stopped publishing. So they got in touch with R.L. Stein, he gave them funding, and the rest you can learn about in today's show. Today I am joined in the studio by Kevin Bauer and Dan White. Dan is the editor-in-chief of OSU Student Humor and Magazine, The Sundial. And Kevin is also a member of this as the art director. Art director. So the Sundial was an OSU institution from 1911 until 1994. It was revived this January by Kevin, Dan, and Nate Verone, the president of Sundial, the Sundial, who is unable to be here tonight because he is out looking for humor topics for the Sundial. He is that dedicated to the Sundial. Lame. How lame, lame. is that? What you hear is one of the distinguished alumni of the magazine, of which there have been a number, such as James Thurber and Milton Caniff, and surprisingly, Goosebumps author R.L. Stein, or as he referred to himself when he edited the Sundial, Jovial Bob Stein who joins us from his home in New York City. So welcome all to Writer's Talk. Thank you very much. Sure, and, and thanks uh, again. This is uh, Mr. Stein's second appearance on Writer's Talk. Uh, we, uh, when he was here a couple years ago, he was kind enough to talk to us then. I think I watched that, actually. Excellent. I saw that episode. You're, you're the you second were the person. One. You were the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we'll start out, Dan and Kevin, tell me about how the sundial was reborn. Sure, well, um, we started out uh, Kevin, myself, and Nate are all part of the improv team at school here, the 8th floor improv. Kevin's the president of that group. Uh, and we had a weekly humor column in The Lantern, the school newspaper. And every week we would kind of type up funny pieces, uh, which would then usually get printed. Uh, but pretty much what happened was The Lantern kind of uh, started, they, they kind of got, kind of got rid of that, um, probably because we weren't, we, we weren't getting very many of them up to them. So, we decided we could uh, either kind of quit it or we can just kind of start something else. So Nate Barone approached me with the idea. He said, I've kind of researched this and we have this great tradition at Ohio State in the Sundial, which to a lot of us we hadn't heard about. Um, and he was interested in reviving it. And I said I would be there to help him out. And so I've helped him when when he's needed it. But uh, for the most part, it's been him kind of going back and getting it. And then obviously brought Kevin on as art director because he's a lot better at that type of stuff uh, than either of us do. So. Why did the, the Sundial cease publication in '94? Have you seen the Have you seen the '94 issues or not? We haven't gotten through the '94 issues yet. Uh, Nate and I have actually been going in on Fridays to the University Archives and going through all of the issues of the Sundial. Uh, we just finished out Box Three, which takes us up right around to the Thurber years. Oh. So we're working our way through. Okay. You have a ways to go. <laughs> Are you telling me there was Sundial in the '70s and '80s? Um, that I that I don't know for sure. We I don't I think did, so. I think it was gone. Oh, okay. it, it, it definitely you know, came back in the '90s because there was, and it was. I think, and Mr. Stein had a really good uh, point about this in an email. He had said was um, they kind of switched. They actually teamed up with the Lantern, which I guess for anyone associated with the sun, Sundial would be um, kind of like the biggest, uh, the number one rule we would have would be not to do that, but because um, of the the historical rivalry. Rivalry, excuse me, but they, and it was just like a pamphlet. It was literally like a, a piece of paper that they would stick in the lantern like once a month. So I, I think it just. Most of those magazines died out. You know, um, when I was in school in the 60s, every college had a humor magazine. 
there were dozens and dozens of them. And we used to see them all in the sundial office. But uh, in the, during the Vietnam War, people started doing underground newspapers and other kind of underground-type publications. And just about all the humor magazines died out. They were all pretty much gone by 1970, I think, okay. including the sundial. Well, we'll blame Joe Blundo at the Columbus Dispatch for, for that bad information. You guys go back after him because <laughs> he, did, he did an article. Um, that's where I was getting it from. Was it funded by OSU at the time, or was this something that uh, arose later, the funding then? Um, it was always funded by itself, right? It, it was funded by itself. Uh, OSU hated the sundial, and especially uh, the dean of students. There was a dean of students then. There was a dean of men and a dean of women, and they would have done anything to get rid of it. <laughs> the sundial was like black sheep. It's like the black sheep of the campus, and they really hated it. Why did they hate it? But I understand that one of the things that uh, happened is there was a, a person who was working on the Sandal who ran for president of uh, student government, even though he was not uh, technically able to do it. I heard about that. Yeah. They, they, believe me, they hated it long before I ran for student body president, long before that. Uh, because I think it was irreverent. And it wasn't, you know, these were not irreverent people. These were very... <laughs> unirreverent people and um, very uh, conservative, very staid people who uh, didn't appreciate the sundial and the fact that it poked fun at just about everything. I think, uh, I think that's actually a really interesting point because that is a lot of why 8th Floor ended up uh, ending that comedy column with the lantern. Uh, they wanted very reverent humor. Uh, they wanted it to be... <laughs> Very uh, reverent humor. Yeah, uh, is, which is what is reverent humor? Exactly. We uh, need some examples. examples. Religious humor. Uh, humor. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the Joe <Super laughs> comics would probably okay. classify as reverent humor, I guess. But uh, you guys weren't worried, willing to wear the sweaters that high, the sweater necks. No. no. Okay. I just don't have the body type for it. But uh, yeah, so we ended up. Uh, it was just a lot of us found it really difficult to write a piece for the Lantern. Because not only did it have to fit in that, like the small allotted space they had for us, but also they wanted it to be focused on Ohio State themes and appropriate for Lantern publication. Okay. So. Well, the Lantern occupies this unusual space because it's one of the few newspapers that I'm aware of that's funded by stu few student university, student papers funded by a university, which does put it into a strange uh, category. Most of them are off campus, as I understand. Oh, they are? Yeah. This is this is the the intel that I've gotten. But as you've seen already, my research staff is not <laughs> not as accurate as perhaps it should be. How is the lantern these days? Is it good? The lantern is. <laughs> I'd say it's on an upswing. Uh, we used to read it every morning. I mean, we you know we enjoyed it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's definitely definitely better than it was my freshman year uh, in the fall of two thousand eight. And they went through like a massive overhaul aesthetically last fall. And now it's actually really well designed, really well laid out. And he's not saying that just because he wants that humor column back. He, he really, <laughs> really means it. With so many humor outlets, from The Daily Show to The Onion to Seth Rogen movies, why, <laughs> why now a print humor magazine? Why, what, what did you think, okay, Put all that aside, and we're going to bring back print. 
Because okay. I don't know Seth Rogen. If, okay. I, if I would have known Seth Rogen, I probably would have contacted him for a movie role. But um, other than that, I think print magazines are, are a great outlet for that stuff. I mean, comedy is comedy's great because it can come in so many different forms, and seeing it and hearing it are two different things from reading it. Um, and Nate and I uh, talk about this a lot, how generally when you read something, you never get that big laugh like you may see, like you may get watching someone perform. Um, but a lot of it's more kind of internalized. Uh, you kind of take it in, and um, I think it, you can make more connections um, in your brain sometimes just seeing it on paper. Um, it's kind of up to the reader to kind of imagine what's being uh, put in place before them, uh, which creates a challenge for the writers, um, which I think is a lot of fun, and we welcome is m making sure that the way you write, because uh, when you say something, and that's how it's going to be interpreted by everybody, but when you write, there's a lot of ways to interpret it. So that's kind of a, a puzzle that I'm sure... Mr. Sign has probably had a lot of experience with as well is, is figuring out how to word things or, or create them in such a way that uh, the person reading it gets what you intended out of the piece. Well, and you're right in the reader's head. You're not up on a screen somewhere. When you, you know, they're reading what you wrote, they're, you're right in their head. You can't get any closer. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your writing processes. I'd like to talk to both of you and then uh, talk to Mr. Stein about that to see how you create comedy. What's, what's your method as the art designer? Uh, as the art designer, yeah. I do also write for the magazine. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of a writing process, uh, I usually find that I'll have an idea that will strike me and I'll think, all right, I can explore this. Like This would be something really fun to go more in depth with. And then usually I'll write out a draft and in thinking about different ways that I could draft it out, kind of different ways I could get towards the punchline, the way it usually works is I'll get a completely different idea and then do that as a one-off, like just draft that out once, and then go through and put a lot more effort into the first idea I had. And then when I go through and present it to everyone at the meetings, uh, the one-off that I wrote in the middle of the very well-thought-out piece goes over a lot better. So I think it's just whatever, maybe when I'm in the moment of writing comedy, just the spontaneous moment hits, and I find something that works. So you don't believe in revision, is what you're getting at? I do believe in revision. I think some of the pieces that I've written that I have gone over and over again, uh, I think some of them still work, but the ones that people laugh out loud at or actually enjoy, is another way to phrase it, uh, tend to be the ones that I just wrote once off. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, and Nate would agree with this, I'm sure Mr. Simon would agree with this, uh, it's about, uh, I think Simon Rich, uh, who's a famous comedy writer who writes for SNL now, he was the editor of the Lampoon for a while, um, the Harvard Lampoon for a while, he said it's about quantity over quality, um, it's get as much out as you can, um, the important thing is to keep writing, and then, um, so kind of actually, I guess, the opposite of what Kevin goes through, which I guess it would kind of make sense, because he definitely approaches it from a more artistic standpoint, I'm more analytical, so... You know, get a lot out there, and then you re revise them, revise them, revise them, and then the, the best ones kind of stick. Uh, so that that's what I do. I usually, when I write a piece, it's usually up on my computer for a week or a week and a half, and I'm just tweaking little words um, here and there, uh, and then just try and write as many as I can uh, that way. Uh, and, and then usually I'll turn it in, and, and then we'll go over it as a group, okay. uh, and then we'll kind of pick out things that way. Because sometimes it's important to show other people, because you can get a different perspective. But that would be my thing, is quantity over quality. And as the editor, you can demand that people find it humorous, right? You can say, that is the funniest joke, and, and we're going with it because yeah. I wrote it, right? Yeah, okay. yeah well, that's... Quantity over quality, is a, that's a great motto. <laughs> Love that. 
So now when you were also the editor of the Sundial, right? Who are you talking to? You, Mr. Stein. You were the editor of, when you were jovial yeah, back Bob in Stein. the Civil War days. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, how did you write uh, comedy? What was your technique no, for? I, what do you mean? Do I have to go all the way back then? I just did a series, <laughs> a book series called Rotten School, 16 books, which is just humor for kids. Okay. About the rottenest school in the world. <laughs> And so we don't have to go all the way back there. But I don't like to analyze comedy at all. I, either you're funny or you're not. Some people are funny. Some people are anti-funny. And uh, it's just, you know, it's a mysterious thing. I, I only cared about being funny. I never cared about being scary. I've never, you know, I never really wanted to terrify kids. That wasn't the point. Now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it comes out. Reading. I don't care about that. I always wanted to be funny. I wrote about a hundred joke books first, and I treat when I write a Goosebumps book, I treat every chapter ending as a punchline. I'm just thinking of funniness. It's every you know. There's some kind of shock. There's some kind of weird thing at, at the end as a cliffhanger at the end of every chapter, and that's I see it as a punchline. Tell me about uh, your original incarnate. Well, maybe we, if we can stay back there. Just for one second, I'm curious about, it seemed like it was a, a small shop. It's always been a small shop. Maybe it was a, a one-person shop when you were running the Sundial. Oh, no, no. We no. had a big staff. No, oh, okay. we had, we had a, a bit, very large office in the student union, you know, the one that was just torn down on High Street. Mm -hmm. Not as a result of the Sundial, we should point no, out. No, Yeah, no. But um, where I spent most of my college days... I hardly went to class. I just stayed <laughs> in that office. And we had a very large business staff. I had an art staff, had an advertising staff, three or four people who went out selling ads, had a business director. No, it was a very large staff. Hmm. Had a lot of artists. Uh, I mean, you know, a lot of freelance people who would come in and contribute cartoons and things. And we had a very big distribution staff. Because, you know, we used to sell the sundial in those days. We would take it to all the bookstores, and it would be on sale all over campus. And then we would set up a booth in the middle of the Oval, or two or three booths. And we would sell. On the day the magazine came out, we would then sell the magazine from the booth. And we had a very big sales staff. I mean, the thing is that in those days, we were all getting paid. So we wanted it to be as profitable as possible. As editor of the Sundial, I got 23% of the profits. Which actually, after I graduated, paid my way to New York City. Hmm. Well, it, there's a lesson in that for you. Then, are you getting twenty three percent? I'm actually nah. I'm actually in the hole right now. <laughs> from, so, um, but it's hard when you get to, when you give it away. It's hard to collect that twenty three percent. Yeah, it's certainly a different kind of um, time now with how with how it, I think the only uh, humor magazine I, I can think of off the top of my head that does sell. That still sells their magazine is the Harvard Lampoon, and that's and like I said, that's kind of the um, the pinnacle of of humor college humor magazines. Uh, that's where most writers on TV come from. Um, so they're kind of, they have kind of a national uh, distribution as well. And to to talk about I, I, well, that is our that's one of Nate and I's goals is to get to the point where we can have kind of a specialized, uh, diversified staff like like they had in the '60s. Right now, I think we have a total of about 15 people on staff, maybe 14, and. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a goal is to get back to that point where we can have kind of Kevin, which we, we, we the only thing we really have right now broken up is art and, and, and kind of writing, and a lot of people cross over, and Kevin will take the artists and we'll kind of take the writers in. 
but yeah, I mean, in terms of like the advertising, the the, the distribution, selling all that stuff is is kind of like uh, like me and Nate and Kevin. So um, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely something we're hoping to to get to expand upon. Well, then you each get a third. Then is that that's even better than the twenty three percent? You each get thirty three percent of nothing. Of nothing. But you know, uh, ostensibly yes. <laughs> You're listening to Writer's Talk from the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University with my guest, Goosebumps author and OSU alumnus R.L. Stein and OSU students Dan White and Kevin Bauer. All three of my guests have worked on the OSU humor magazine, The Sundial, which was recently resurrected with help from R.L. Stein. Now let's go back to our discussion of how this happened. So tell me, in, in my reading of the new sundial, which we have here, uh, with a, uh, a baby on the front, it took me a minute to figure this out. Uh, it's uh, a baby doing a keg stand. That's right. Yeah. So uh, you announce off the bat that it's going to be respectful, reverent humor. Um, and uh, I was wondering, when you went through this, did you, you didn't have any sort of uh, restrictions on yourselves, it seems to me. See, this is what I'm talking about when you say in writing, it's hard to capture that inflection because like that joke in writing would have just read like a sentence. That's why it took us a few seconds. To get you. Well, I'm sorry. But no, that's very, that's very good. Yes, it is very reverent. Oh my goodness. I didn't realize the latrine was on here. It's a joke on the lantern. So uh, you're both going to jail. But uh, tell me about the, the kinds of things when you were writing uh, was there anything that you said this is off limits or we could get really get into trouble for this or uh, things that you thought were just a bad idea to write about or is it completely open and um, not having any limits for you? I, I can say as uh, because I was contacted by then the, the art director but I was also one of the first people they contacted to submit like a writing packet for if we wanted to be in this new future magazine uh, so off the bat they they being Nate and Dan, were insisting that we didn't limit ourselves in any way, shape, or form, uh, and we just go for whatever we feel to be funny. Um, so they tried to make sure there were no restrictions, and that really shines through in the final magazine because there are a lot of uh, edgy jokes, and I think after reading through it, I think there are only two things that I was really worried about, uh, like if anyone would have any backlash towards the magazine. Uh, one of them is a non sequitur, that's a suicide joke oh, yeah. that Dan wrote. It's sort of the back of the issue. And then the other one is something I just thought was funny that we slipped into the rights page. But when I showed my dad the magazine, he was legitimately concerned <laughs> that we would get the organization shut down for it. Show me what, what you were concerned about so that we can uh, really get you into trouble yeah, so with can, the... Uh... Well, if I call it out, no one else will, right? So we go through like the rights at the bottom. Like The Sundial was published three times during the academic year by the Sundial Humor Magazine. A uh, whole bunch of information on where to contact us and everything. Uh, reproduction in any form without permission is strictly prohibited. The sundial has never murdered any children. Which I is just... I didn't know that was in there. Yeah. Until just now that you said that. That must have been made. But it's not true, right? We don't do background checks, but I would assume no. No, you haven't. Well, that's good. At least not for uh, for the purposes of the magazine. Now, it should be pointed out uh, that Mr. Stein has helped you with some of the startup costs. Yeah, absolutely, and we're very thankful for that. Yeah. Well, along those lines, I had sort of two questions. Um, are you you 
taken uh, the liberty of distancing yourself legally from these these uh, reprobates here, I hope. But also, were you able to give them any other advice about writing the magazine? Uh, you said, here's something that really worked well for us or anything along those lines. I gave him one. I said, make it sexier. <laughs> that was my advice. So, <laughs> yeah. The, the baby on the cover there, didn't really fall, fall off. There. Yeah. You know, look what you're competing against. You're competing against the onion and all these other, you know, you gotta, it's got to be sexier. That was, that's what I told him. Okay. And I have to tell you, and I have to say now, I mean, no one asked me, but uh, just how thrilled I am to see this magazine back after being gone for so long. And I've just always, I love humor magazines. That's all. I was so lucky. I did a humor magazine called Bananas for 10 years. And uh, it was just, I had the best time doing it. And I just think it's a tragedy that you have this huge country, this enormous country, and there's no real national humor magazine. So anytime young people are interested in starting up this kind of thing, it's very exciting to me. And uh, I'm just thrilled to, to, to see the thing back. When you're uh, working through the magazine and you've got it out now, what kind of responses have you gotten? That's a really great response. Um, have, you showed it to your father? He was legitimately concerned on the first page. So how did he go, or that's sorry, the second page. How did he go after that? What, was the re what responses have you gotten? He was impressed. He was really impressed by the magazine. And there are a lot of pieces that's not just like, a, oh, I'm proud of my son and what he did. I only have two or three written pieces in the actual first issue. But he was just really impressed by everything that everyone came up with, which I think is a testament because it takes a lot for my dad to like actually laugh out loud at something. So you stayed by him the entire time to watch how often he laughed out loud? Oh, absolutely. Good, good. What reactions have you gotten? And I didn't mean just from your, your immediate family. Um, no, but that's the only person. Well, I actually have to say, that's actually funny that you say that, because I would say the most negative response I have gotten is from my mom. Uh, <laughs> she's the only one that's kind of read it and said that she didn't think it was very funny. <laughs> oh. But beyond that, everyone's been pretty welcoming of it. Um, she she doesn't like swearing and stuff, so that I think that turned out. <laughs> and I don't want to give the impression that this is a bunch of like potty jokes, because there is some... Um, you know, I think there's some very topical, some very intelligent humor in there. So, uh, but yeah, I think overwhelmingly we've, we've received a lot of uh, email from even alumni in the area uh, who have heard about it, um, which is great. Uh, and um, just other other collaborators from other universities who have read it uh, and, and Facebook and Twitter, we've had a lot of positive responses on. So, I, yeah, I mean, I think that the overwhelming response has been very positive. Okay. No one's burned down the office. I think you guys are ahead of the game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you're, and, and that's, well, they're, they're actually... I have to say, I thought it was very funny, and I wouldn't even show it to my mother, ever. <laughs> I well, thought it was funny. Much. That's funny. When these guys emailed me and said, oh, we're starting up the uh, sundial again, do you think you might be interested in putting up some money or something? And I said, I had only one question for them. I said, are you any good? That was my question. That was, yeah. We I said, are you any good? And they sent me pages, and they were good. So it's great. It's a great thing. Thanks, Thanks very much. And that was so nerve-wracking, too, that email exchange, because uh, I remember getting the call from Nate, and he was like, hey, we got to hold the RL sign. He just says we have to prove we're good. And then it was just silent. He was like, <laughs> yeah. can we do that? Like, you know, what if you were bad? Yeah. Well, I think what a funny we're story. Terrible? We were terrible. When I did the magazine, no. we were horrible. 
We were totally unsophisticated. We didn't know what we were doing. Your stuff is is much sharper than what we did back in the 60s. Much sharper. I've always Thank thought much. that yeah. a baby doing a keg stand is a pretty sophisticated, well, sharp piece of humor. I'm going to have to go ahead and uh, uh, disagree respectfully with Mr. Stein. We, when we had, I, I've gone through the records. I went through them kind of uh, pretty extensively over the summer. And uh, the reason we contacted him, besides the fact, obviously, Goosebumps and everything, very famous author, was... Uh, we did think the sundial under his vision was the best sundial we read. I mean, that's including the ones in the 90s, which were a little bit, I mean, not as edgy as it is now, but a little bit edgier. Uh, but even back to the 60s, uh, Jovial Bob Stein's pieces, Stein's Lines was one, especially that uh, those were the only ones that consistently made us laugh and really impressed us to the point where Nate and I kind of said, like, after 40 years, that humor of any kind, let alone written humor, can hold up, um, says a lot about it. Uh, so I think at that time, it was certainly the, the biggest commercial su- success was in that time. Um, but also, I think content-wise, has held up uh, extraordinarily. Thank you very much. Thank you. You guys are definitely sick, but thank you anyway. <laughs> it was uh, also, it's, it's, it's worth noting that you're in New York City, and um, James Thurber is still in town, and you didn't contact him. So... Um, <clears throat> he's, he's dead. Okay. But, but, but he's buried in okay. town, okay. so... So I'm sorry, that was a little too conceptual. <laughs> we'll, we'll cut in post. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think you would have been at the, oh, the, the humor Prize dinner? Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't going to question because I, I don't know, I don't want to look stupid. <laughs> yeah, I have no fear of that. I, I felt very, I felt very like scared when you said that because I thought he was. And I was like, he's going to be really offended that we went to his dinner. Yes. And, we actually have a guest in the theater. It's uh, James Thurber. Yeah, come on, just bring him out on the show right now. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> we have a website um, coming out. We work with a group on campus to develop that. Um, so we have a we have a website coming out, uh, which will have all the content. The Facebook page right now is is pretty great. If you just look up the Sundial Humor magazine, um, it's just a bunch of jokes, uh, kind of like opening monologue in the magazine, uh, just topical jokes from the news uh, that we'll post every once in a while. Uh, but yeah, the, the vision is to be able to print five times a year as opposed to three times a year, which we're currently doing. And creatively, we have the ability to do that right now. We're just kind of restricted a little bit financially. So until we kind of start getting the advertisers along a little bit more, and they've been great so far. Um, we already have uh, some more interest uh, this next issue than we had the previous one. Um, and we've already sold the back cover. So I mean, it's uh, the advertisers have been great. But as soon as we're able to kind of get that, uh, that financial success, uh, similar to what they, the, the Sundial experience in the 60s, we're hoping to print five times a year. And so you're still going to class, though. You haven't taken any uh, yeah. uh, pointers from Mr. Stein and stopped going? Well, I think he made the right choice uh, based on <laughs> where he's at right now. Uh, I unfortunately do go to class. <laughs> uh, see, big mistake. Big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> what was your major again that you, you didn't have to go to class, Mr. Stein? My major? Yeah. My major was uh, beer and hot dogs. Okay, good. They don't have that major anymore, not officially, but it's good to know. Well, a lot of us majored in that. Okay. Well, I'm a marketing major, so that's about as close as you can get. <laughs> <laughs> we won't show this to any of your professors. Or, and what's your major again? I'm new media. New media? Oh, yeah. that's right, that's right. See, we didn't have new media. <laughs> yeah. We had old media. Had old he doesn't media. think that that's a real <laughs> Yeah, I saw I, the eye roll. <laughs> as, as far as I know, that isn't a real major, but I'll, I'll let it go this time. No, it is a real, a real major, and I'm pleased um, <laughs> to uh, to have somebody here who's uh, going to be at McDonald's soon. 
Anyway, the kidding. I want to thank you, uh, Mr. Stein, for coming here today virtually, talking to us and talking to the young. I, I enjoyed it a lot. When do we start? <laughs> thank you. Looking forward, looking forward to it. Good and uh, and thank you both for being here and the. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on, Mr. Stein. We appreciate it. Then you can reach the Sundown anytime, Magazine anytime. You, well, tomorrow we'll do this again. Right. You can reach the Sundial Magazine at the Sundial Magazine at gmail.com or facebook.com slash sundial. Yeah. Have that? Can I just say we can, you can pick up the magazine at the uh, main uh, magazine terminal at the High Street entrance of the Union. It's kind of our main hub along with various. The main magazine terminal? Yeah, you walk into the Union. Um, oh, okay. And there's like a bunch of magazines. The, land, the Lanterns there, you weekly there. Okay, you're right. Cause, yeah, I, well, being a new media person... I didn't. I, you're introducing me to a concept uh, in magazines. I yeah, yeah. I don't know what <laughs> yeah, I do with that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all very much. You've been listening to Writer's Talk from the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at the Ohio State University, a co-production with the Ohio Channel. You can learn more about us at www.writerstalk.org or facebook.com slash writers talk join me next week for mystery writer and featured ohioana book festival author carrie bebris who will discuss her mr and mrs darcy mysteries including the latest in the series the intrigue at highbury until then this is doug dangler keep writing